electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the growth trade rollover. And whether that early year rally is now on its last legs, we debate that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jason Snipe, Brenda Vangelo, Bryn Talkington, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets here. I'll take you to the wall, show you what we're doing. It's another down day for the Nasdaq. It's been down four or five. It, as you can see, is lower again by more than 1%. It's growth's worst week since late December. Brenda, I go to you first. You're out in Silicon Valley, right? Is that how it feels? Is this the rollover? Is it just beginning here as we see this early year trade suddenly look a little bit in trouble? Well, I can say the sentiment here in Silicon Valley feels nothing like what the stock market looks like uh, within tech. It still seems incredibly vibrant. Uh, But I do think when we think about can this trade continue, we have to really look at, at what's happening right now with multiples. We've had a really nice move in the market so far this year. It feels really nice uh, after last year. But I think we're going to be limited in terms of the multiple that people are willing to pay in this environment where interest rates are still rising. Uh, so we've had such a strong jobs number recently that I think the Fed is going to continue raising rates. And so I think that's going to continue to put a lid on valuation multiples. So it's just hard to argue for a lot more expansion from here. Uh, but it certainly has been nice uh, to see, you know, somewhat of a, uh, a recovery here in stock prices and many tech names, not the big large cap tech names, but many have been down 70% or more. Uh, uh, and so I think some of that was just overdone. So nice to see a little bit of a correction here, but it's just really hard to make a case for ongoing improvement from here in terms of stock prices. Weiss, I got the 10 year at 372. Uh, long duration assets, so-called long duration assets have, have been hit as rates have, have gone up. Did we put a cap on that trade that had you know, gotten off to a great start this year? Because I'll give you some numbers of stocks sure. this week alone after you answer that question. Yeah, so I'm still short. Uh, you know, I'm still long TBF, which is short uh, longer into the curve um, because I think rates still do go. Look, this has been driven 100 percent, 1,000 percent by multiple expansion. And as I said before, that in a rising rate environment where the brunt of the Fed activity, the Fed tightening, has yet to be felt at all, really, um, it's a bad time to do it because you're not at trough earnings yet. That I don't mind multiple expansion. So, look, do I think it still has some more legs? Yeah, I think this is a good reset. Tech, you, I, 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 specifically on this, Tech. this growth trade, you think it has more legs? Not right now, but I think it will come back to it because there's an insatiable appetite to buy. I don't think it's the right move, frankly. I think 
Do you still want to be mostly in cash at this point? Because the second half is going to be miserable when you see the impact. But there'll be opportunities. I mean, you take a look at where Microsoft is, and, you know, that's, that's come down from the highs. Uh, and you take a look at some of the others. Well, I'm going to give you, I'll you give take a look at the semis, which have been, you know, in, incredible the run there, and they shouldn't have been. So you've had this money come in. You've had the post-tax selling season buying. Mm-hmm. You've had this euphoria about the beginning of the year, and then you had the FOMO, of which plead guilty to the end of it. But, yeah, I, I think that the risk, the risk is to the downside. I mean, in five and a half weeks, Bryn, I'm just going to give you an idea of, of names that have run a lot. Meta's up 48% in five weeks. Coinbase is up 64%. Shopify up 39%. Teladoc up 39%. Arc up 27. So I, I give you year to date, but then I, I also tell you what we've done this week because it maybe tells the story that we ask at the top of the show of whether the trade is rolling over. Okay. This week, Coinbase down 22%. Shopify's down nine. Teladoc's down six. Arc's down seven and a half. What do you think about that broader question of whether this euphoria that was all around this early tech trade is, is, is about to end? So investors need to understand that on any day, 80 to 90 percent of the volume can be algorithmic trading or CTAs. And we had a massive, massive short covering at the beginning of the year, which put so much energy onto those exact names you just mentioned. So some of those names maybe got overdone, like a Facebook saying we're going to cut spending. Maybe it deserves to be up. I don't know about 30 percent in one day or 25 percent. But here's here's what you need to understand. Stocks tell us what they think about the economy. And stocks are pricing in no recession, soft landing. Bonds, though, drive stocks. And within the bond market, the two-year is what you need to focus on. And so you can put this rally in high beta tech, overlay it with the two-year, which has gone from November from about almost 470 down to the third week of January, almost 4%, maybe 405. And then where are we today? 450. Because guess who follows the Fed? Fed funds follows the two-year. Fed funds follow the two-year. And so I still think that although the Fed has come out and said they're data dependent, which is a plus because they're not so behind inflation, we are still, I think, at the mercy of the market saying, well, maybe Fed, maybe Powell has more rates. And we actually, the cuts that were in the market earlier this year are now off the table. That's what's driving what's going on in tech and high beta tech. I mean, the, the poster stock of all of this is Tesla, isn't it? Which you own. I mean, it was at 100 bucks, right? And it's at 200, okay? So in few, a few weeks, it went from 100 to 200, and today it's down 5.5%. So yep. was that too far, too much too soon, as Adam Jonas of Morgan Stanley is wondering today? I think 100 was, was too low. I think it was, it was too much too fast of the really jump off the cliff as he decided maybe he tweeted he was going to buy Twitter, and then he actually had to buy Twitter, right? That totally destroyed sentiment and positivity. As that starts to go away... And that he did the price cuts in China, which is incredibly smart, because as much as we talk about EV sales in the U.S., globally EV sales in the U.S., the U.S. is 9 percent. Europe is 24. China is like 50 to 60 percent. And so he is really gaining, gaining, gaining traction in China. And so I think that is what people are seeing is that was really smart to cut those prices. And so, yeah, it went from 100 to 200. It should have never been at 100. But maybe this is now the new price for it. It needs to digest itself. As you know, I bought it at 120, but I sold calls at 150. 
So I'm capped out at 160 because I got $10 because I thought it's going to take time. But that's what the market but does. But see, I always yeah. find it interesting, though. It's like, okay, well, it never deserved to go down to 120, but sure, it deserves to be back at 200 because it never should have gone down to 100 yeah. in, in the first place. Is, is, I mean, yeah. he says, this is Adam Jonas, of course, at Morgan Stanley. We believe the window of op uh, opportunity on valuation has closed. Further upside from here will require a more substantial narrative change following their investor day on March 1st. I think that if you have the market you have tech under pressure. I would find it very, very obscure and strange if Tesla bucks against that trend and goes higher. So I think that that 200, the 190, 200 is a good price right now. And then ultimately now you've got to have fundamentals follow that move and you need to have the nonsense go away. That's distracting, you know, him, which he runs three companies. You know, he needs to be focused on well, Tesla. It's a lot more than that, but yeah. Right, but the, the ones we know about, you yep. know, the, the, those three companies. So, what I, I, yeah. I'm sorry. What Real I quick, understand in Tesla is why nobody looks at the China risk. Look what happened to every company doing business in Russia. Now, that's a real, real risk. So to me, that's somewhat of a negative. That's what you're betting on at this point. So Jason Snipe, this, this broader question that we use maybe Tesla in part as a proxy on this early year trade. How do you assess it from here? Yeah, so, you know, I think about last year, um, all the tax selling and sentiment, um, how bad sentiment was, you know, towards the end of the year. And then coming into this new year, you know, a lot of folks were offside. And, and, and to, to a lot of the commentators' points already, I mean, they're, they're, a lot of it, I think, was overdone. And I think that's why we've seen a NASDAQ close to, up to close to 12% year to date and a lot of run in, in some of the high beta names. But if, if, we're, if we're talking about Tesla or some of the more high beta names, I, I think, yeah, they, it's run a lot. It's, it's run probably far too far, too fast, as Bren just, just said. Um, but, I, but I'm really looking at going forward. We have a, we have a Fed that's still very much engaged in, in policy. You know, and, and we've, there's been a lot of talk about disinflation and, and dovish commentary. I didn't really see that. I, I saw a Fed that's been steadfast on their approach and, and what they need to do going forward. Um, it, there is a data dependency here. There's a lag effect on what they did all of last year, 400 basis points in a year. I mean, this, this, there's, this, there's a, been a lot of run-up from a policy perspective, and I think we will see the impact of that this year, and we'll likely see it towards the end of the year. Um, so for me, you know, high beta names are, are, are not the winners going forward. You know, I think you, you have to turn to value and some, some more growth at a reasonable price names, and I think that could still perform here. I mean, I feel like Weiss come CPI this week, it's going to be one of those deals where you're afraid to look at it. Like, you're looking oh, yeah. at it through like, okay, I'm going to see the CPI, what the print was when it, when it comes out that morning, because the markets run a lot, and the, the market, the stock market, to, to Bryn's point, has made some pretty good assumptions, big yep. assumptions. We're going to find out if it's legit or not with CPI. Yeah, so if you go through the cycle of the markets, it's amazing. Uh, you know, the different data points that have driven the market substantially one way or the other. So it used to be the jobs number. Before that, you know, it used to be, um, you know, you had consumer confidence being a driver of the market, believe it or not. And in this cycle, it's clearly inflation. And to me, that's the most important number and the most, one that's most correlated with the market. And it's a binary event, So right? binary for this particular trade? that we're talking about? I, I, Can't you make that argument? It, depending upon... Well, I mean, it, if it's hot, yeah. rates go up more, 
Yeah, it, you think the Nasdaq's going to go up? There are degrees of it. The answer is there are degrees of it. So you could possibly see with China reopening, although it's a little early, you could see and you could see th- feed through from the jobs number. You know, I think that'll be revised dramatically. I mean, if it reverses the dialogue that, hey, inflation's plateaued and it's declining meaningfully, then you'll see a major sell from the market. You see a thousand down points on the Dow. On the other side, the market, going back to my other dialogue, market just wants to be optimistic. It picks single data points in a sea of red to buy the market to latch well, onto. I mean, it's been, but it has been the absolute reverse of that for a good long time to this point, hasn't it? Right? It was everybody was so negative. Sentiment was negative. Returns were negative. You know, uh, at some point, it's going to be reasonable to not be as negative. At some you're going to have to make what I think is so interesting, and, and Brent and I were talking about this too. You're going to have to make this call sooner than you see it because the market's going to have moved before it actually comes to fruition fully yep right yep and it's evolving as i said it's going to evolve into the second half you can get crushed in the second half if you're long stocks maybe not crushed but it'll be sell-off depending upon where it comes from but here's what i tell you if there's just a little bit in that cpi report it shows the little bit of inflation moderating somewhat then it's off to the races again but you and but you've already said that you think we we actually have more room to run. And Michael Hartnett over at Bank of America, Brent, as we talk about, you know, he... On he, a trading basis, not on an extended basis. I hear basis. you. Um, he's talking about that sort of basis as well. He says, very tempting to see February 3rd blockbuster payroll as peak no landing, peak Goldilocks. The moment financial uh, conditions flipped from easing to tightening, we stick with fade S&P 4,200 to 4,300. So, yeah, okay, you can get a little bit more, but your luck's going to run out at some point. So, you know, don't be naive to, to where this can go. I think that the S&P is still so dominated by tech. So I still think you have about 30% if you put Amazon and Meta back into the tech sector. And so because of that, I think that tech will still remain under pressure. Therefore, the technicals of the S&P have faded at 4,200 just makes sense. I think tech is still going to be under pressure, and that's the wild card. And you can't have 30%, or you can, but 30% of an of a index under pressure and have the whole index go higher. And that's why the equal weight S&P has been doing so much better. One point, though, also that people are focused on CPI is yesterday, if you look at the Atlanta Fed wage tracker, year-over-year wage growth came in at over 6%. So that averaged over the last 20 years about 3.5%. So although the CPI and like owner-equivalent rents probably are coming down, and that's a big chunk of CPI, I don't know if CPI actually comes in hot, but that wage growth is really important. And Powell said, I think that the missing workers is more structural. And so that's where that plays into that narrative of inflation is going to stay stickier for longer. And so therefore, the narrative of just buy high beta tech, I think, is a trading regime, not like a, you, can, you can just sit in and say, I'm going to go long these names fresh money long these names and buy and hold at this point. Well, the biggest, game, early. the biggest game changer in the market, arguably, was that you could no longer buy low beta tech because those are the ones that got hit hard, too. You finally decided to buy Alphabet, right, which you have yeah. now sold. I did. Um, I bought it as a trade. Recall, you know, Supreme Court cases looming out there, which will change their liability mm-hmm. and open up the floodgates being lawsuits. So it had lagged, and it lagged for good reasons. The reason I sold it is that the Microsoft announcement or the reveal was a game changer. Now, they'll roll it out in phases, but when you're talking about Google that's got 97% share of search, 97% share of the advertising market, 
you don't have to move the needle a lot on Microsoft to really just make it a more competitive pricing environment. So, of course, Google's got their own. They've been talking about it longer than Microsoft, but that changes dynamics. And so I wasn't a big fan of Google anyway. I was doing it as a trade. That just ratcheted up. And fortunately, you know, I got out before it hit the bottom. It was a, it was a money-losing trade for sure. But uh, it just changes the dynamics completely, instead of dynamics in their most important market. So, Jason, you know, what do you think about that? You, you own Alphabet as well. Was it that much of a game changer that it's, you know, literally time to assess your holding? Listen, I, I think that that trade is a little bit overdone. I mean, obviously, Google has really, really struggled over the last week and a half. What trade um, is that? And the, search, you, obviously. What, what, what do you mean? It's the, that, what's that the Google, trade? The down, Google. Google down, pulling Google back. down? Okay. Yeah, the downside. You got it. Yeah. So for me, I, th- I think it's a little bit overdone. I mean, search is obviously Google's war chest and they'll figure this out. I mean, the, the, you know, the AI move. I mean, I, I get it, but I think it is slightly overdone. They're doing some other things just in terms of efficiency and cost containment, um, you know, processes that they're lo- looking to implement going forward. But obviously, the, the narrative is this AI story. And I, and I, and I think they'll, they'll figure it out. They're a very innovative company. And I, I think it's slightly overdone here. But let me, let me ask, can I ask you this, Jason? Yes, please. So, so the cost's going to go up quite a bit, right, as they look to have these capabilities and put these capabilities in. So on one side, the efficiencies you're getting from laying people off and getting vanity projects are going to go in spades to making sure that they're competitive here. Now, Microsoft also is able to integrate that into their full suite of office products, right, which is just going to embed that more in the consciousness of the consumer and the business. So to me, that's why I say it's a game changer. And when I look at what's changed today versus a week ago when it was oversold, I see dramatic changes. So based on that, frankly, I'd rather own Microsoft you know, than, than Google. How do you respond to that? And looks, I'm... Absolutely. And Weiss, listen, I totally get that. I mean, I, I own them both. And the, the reason I say it's overdone, I mean, Google, I mean, they, they have controlled this space for so long. This is a win uh, for, for Microsoft. Absolutely. I think they win the first set of the match. But I think going forward, um, there, there will be opportunities here. And I think there will likely be a little bit more pullback in Google. But I, I just think as an innovative company that they are, cost containment structure going forward, I do think there will be another a chance to get back in this and, and see some steady growth. I mean, that's just just kind of the way I see it going forward. So let's let's try and get some moves in uh, before we take our first break. And Brenda, I'm coming to you. You sold Intel. I know you were looking at it for a long time. Uh, why did you do it now? I'm sure you wish you had done it then. That's right. I think we had said that too many times over the last few years, and we sold it uh, before the company reported earnings um, in earlier January. And it was just a function of too many quarters of just um, over-promising and under-delivering and just not not being able to execute. Uh, so we, we said goodbye, uh, finally, um, and we did buy Albemarle uh, with the proceeds. This is a lithium company, uh, really has uh, access and owns some of the lowest cost uh, lithium in the world. They're also restructuring the way that they uh, write their contracts this year, which should provide a 25% boost to the overall price they're receiving for the lithium that they're selling. Um, and we just see a very long long-term story here globally, whereas EV continues to grow, um, they're going to benefit. There will be continue to be a lot of demand for lithium. They're increasing capacity over the next eight years or so. 
And so we just think this is a, a an interesting way to play the EV market where you really win with the overall growth um, globally. Okay. All right. So you sold uh, Intel. You bought Albemarle. Brynn, a move from you. You, uh, you bought Diamondback, right? Yes. Yes. So new, I, a new position, new position. Okay. So I've talked about Viper Energy quite a few times, which is actually a mineral rights company that's a subsidiary of, of Diamondback. And so I didn't own Diamondback, but I felt that this pullback in energy as a whole was overdone. I know that hedge funds have been reducing that energy exposure, which is which has put pressure on the downside. But I like this story on a secular growth basis. Diamondback, Diamondback continues to make good strategic acquisitions. They've got capital discipline. They want to have 75% of their free cash flow distributed to shareholders via the dividend base, their stock buybacks, and then their variable dividend. And so I just think this was a good entry point. I bought it around 139. And I think that today you saw Russia cut production by 5%. That gives it some upside. But really, China has not, I don't think, even remotely been reflected into these energy names. I think the weakness of nat gas has scared away some investors that that dividend from 2022 would actually come down. And so I think it just got overdone and took the opportunity to add to it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, our calls of the day. The state of the consumer as discretionary leads the way this year, plus an upgrade for a big healthcare stock that both Bryn and Jason own. The traders, you'll hear from them next. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, our calls of the day. Guggenheim raised its price target today on Target to 200 bucks. reiterated their buy. They continue to believe the brand remains strong. All right, Jason, you own it. And discretionary, by the way, best year to date. It's up 15%. But how about TGT? You got it. So obviously discretionary has done very well um, so far this year. And I think Target for me, I, you know, going back to last year, my mistake was thinking that this was going to be the inventory issue was going to be a one quarter issue. But here we are now. 
in, in Q1 of 2023. And I do think the inventory story will, will be behind them you know, going forward. They're trying to get back to 6% operational margin growth, you know, which is pre-pandemic levels. I think Cornell can get there. Obviously, markdowns have hurt profitability, but I, but I like this call here. The stock is up about 15%, trading at a market, mo- market multiple. And I think there's an opportunity going forward. Bryn, you like Target? I like shopping there, but from I like Walmart better. I think that I still believe we're late stage economic cycle. I think that I would prefer Walmart. Walmart even said last quarter that they're getting higher in shoppers, which are the target shoppers, coming to Walmart. And also, as I think about a hedge fund doing a pairs trade, I feel like if the economy weakens, people would go long Walmart, short target for that reason. So I, I would I would buy Walmart here if I had to buy one of the two. OK, Weiss, we have some business to take care of with you. All right. Good thing is my memory never fails me, okay? You sold Lululemon. I did. How'd you sell Lululemon? Because I'm telling you, here's what you said on January 9th. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Weiss? Sure. We're in a luxury environment. Anytime it, Lulu, gets hurt, it's a buying opportunity. Said it was a pretty big trade for you. Said it deserves a high multiple because growth rate is sustainable. Yep. Why'd you sell it? Well, because I got a year's worth of performance in about uh, two, three weeks. So if you recall, I bought it on the flush. It was down, whatever, 20, 26 that day to, I forget the price level. It got up into 320s. And I started to sell it as, you know, it went above 315 or so. Uh, I do like it. That hasn't changed. It's not complete luxury. It's actually mixed, but it does lend itself to the luxury consumer. So when you get in that kind of gift, and with my market view, I'm going to ring cash register every single time. But you said that anytime it gets hurt, it's a buying opportunity. So right. if it was like 320, right. well, now it's, now it's below that. Are you going to buy it back? Yeah, I think I'll be able to get it below 300 again. So, yes, I will. But it was 10% move or more in a compressed period of time. How do you not take that off the table? It's not like I had to hold it for another 11 months to have long-term gains. I wasn't going to do that. But I think, you, I, I think, just sorry to interrupt. No, for a second. go ahead. I think, like, I, I shop at Lulu, and I think, like, the Peter Lynch model, buy what you know. Right. I will say, though, I think the store needs a refresh. You go in there, their yeah. shoes look just like Nikes, by the way, and then you go in there, and it's the same stuff. And I know there are other private companies that people are, people are pivoting to for that, like, athleisure. And so I just think when you go in there and you have the same styles, different colors year after year, that, to me, is an issue for the company looking just like the same inventory which I think is one of the reasons also mm-hmm. the stock has some, has some well, pressure. Well, they, they've had, and I just want our viewers yeah. to understand the full psychology of, of a, a trade like this for yeah. something that you were, you know, pretty darn bullish about a month ago yep. um, and made the case to them, our, our, our people, and now you're selling it. So I just want them to get inside your head to understand fully why. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, my gain, what I foresaw, foresaw is the upside in my stock happens a lot quicker than I envisioned, right? You typically don't see that kind of move, particularly when all the analysts come out and say, oh, woe is me, you know, gross margin getting crushed again, right? However, revenue's better than expected, earnings are better than expected, but there is more competition. I'm not really worried about the market, but, you know, where was the stock gonna be? I thought I'd have to own it for at least six months, you know, to get there. So I was able to own it for a few weeks, and then I'll refresh, because it's a trading market. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Um, you guys may have noticed, uh, let's show Tesla shares as well, because they've taken a little bit of a leg lower here. Our Phil LeBeau is uh, joining us now with uh, what's going on. And there seems to be some uh, reporting around the Biden administration that's hitting this stock, Phil. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's the question of what's going to happen with uh, EV charging networks and the standards that are going to be released by the Biden administration. Uh, There's some reporting that those standards will be released next week and that as part of this, uh, these new standards, there will be a requirement that Tesla open up its supercharger network. Just to bring everybody up to date on the supercharger network, you can charge Teslas there. You can't charge other EVs there. Now, you can charge Teslas at non-supercharger network sites along with other EVs. But if you're driving a Nissan Leaf, you can't charge it at a Tesla supercharger network site. So this would force Tesla to open up the supercharger network, which, by the way, remember, back in December, Elon Musk said, yes, we plan on opening it up, making it available to everyone. Um, So he has said that he would do this. So it's not a huge surprise. I'm not sure if that's enough to warrant the stock being down 6% today. But keep in mind, it was up, I think, eight days in a row. This is the first down day in the last eight days, and it's had a heck of a run over the last three months, and in particular over the last month, Scott. So I think there's probably a little bit of that in there as well. So we'll see when these standards come out, if in fact the Biden administration says, look, if you want any funding as part of this seven and a half billion dollars that's going to be out there for uh, charging networks, you're going to have to open up the supercharger network. But as we mentioned earlier, Elon Musk has said in the past he plans to do that. To your point that the stock was already down and we, we highlighted it, you know, shortly off the top of our show today yeah. as being down. This just took it, a, you know, a two, three bucks lower than it was at that particular time, which right. is now a near seven percent loss. But you you hit the key thing. It's like either do this or you're not going to get federal funding. Right. Right. And, and obviously they see the writing on the wall. The federal funding is one aspect of this. If you are a Tesla investor, by the way, does it matter to you that the supercharger network is opened up? Well, for Tesla users, they probably will not be happy that now there will be other vehicles taking up some of these stalls. And I have heard from friends who have Teslas that they're not always crazy that some of the supercharger networks they go to, they're already busy, depending on how many people are there charging up their vehicles. Uh, And now you have the potential to have even more vehicles in there. But this is one of those things that I think everybody realized it's coming at some point, whether it's going to happen in the next year, two years, whenever. At some point, Tesla was probably going to have to open up its network. And as I mentioned, Elon Musk has said, yeah, we're going to do that. All right. Phil, I appreciate you popping on with us. That's Phil LeBeau, the latest there. Bryn, you, you have bet. a quick comment here since yeah. you are the Tesla investor that Phil is you know, maybe referring yeah. to? Yeah. I mean, I drive a Tesla also. I think this is like such an overreach and it's such like a government shakedown. You have a private company, a publicly traded company, but that they built out the whole network. They built out the whole supercharger network. And so without that, you know, GM, Ford, we'd all still, Leonardo DiCaprio would still be driving a Prius. Okay. It's like he's brought all these companies, put the infrastructure in. So I just think it's, it's, it's not going to happen. If he wants to do it, great. But you could not have a government come in who've totally given him the Heisman, the company, the Heisman the whole time shoulder to shoulder with GM when they're actually doing the hard work and just say, yeah, allow all these other cars to plug in there. That doesn't make any sense. They're saying, if you want our money, here's what you have to do. No, no, but they're giving the money to to every other company. They're giving the money to every other company. And the other companies are also going to open up their charging. They have zero. They have zero. It doesn't matter. He can say we don't want it. That's absurd, by the way. That's just like, this is bad policy that I highly doubt will go into effect because you cannot have this company drag along all these other big companies. That, go, go look at ChargePoint, like, which is a publicly traded stock. 
it takes 24 hours to get a full charge because they're slow. And so they should get the benefit of building that out if they and should not be penalized. Money, I agree. If they weren't giving them money, fine. Yeah. You know, you, the government should not go in and say, and I believe the Biden administration is socialist, but in this, if yeah. they're giving them money and they're taking the money, then they have a right to put conditions on the money. But then the other, Tesla's the free other to companies say no. get a pass. So the other companies they're just They're not like, getting a pass. They are getting a pass because so? they're not having to build off their own network. They are all... They, all no, they are aren't. building out they, their own network. They, Volkswagen has a massive network. Hummer GM has, has said one, they're building out Hummer networks. has the only EV charger I've ever seen is on the Hummer commercial. Never seen Hummer. it ever anywhere. Bottom line is you're not as, as concerned as you are, you know, politically, philosophically. You're not from a stock standpoint? No, I think this is, no, I think this is, I think to Phil's right. Investors don't care. Tesla drivers for sure care, and I think that, Tesla cares about customer satisfaction, and therein lies the problem, is the customers of the product you're buying would be very upset with that. I Let me ask you this. What if Tesla takes the money and says, okay, I don't know what the, what the regs are going to say, and say, okay, not, Tesla owners, you know, normal pricing. Non-Tesla owners, you know, we're going to charge you three times and makes it a revenue source using increasing the leverage no. from what the government funding is. That doesn't make any sense because if you go to Why an not? EV station, there's like 12 EVs. I don't care as a Tesla driver if you charge them $1,000. I just want to get in and out because it already takes too long to charge anyway. All right. We'll make that the last word. Good, good debate. Uh, we are counting down to the Super Bowl. And there is a lot at stake, obviously, for sports gambling, which stocks could benefit the most. We will discuss that. And during February, we are celebrating black heritage through the stories of some of our CNBC teammates, contributors and leaders in business. Here's John Fort, CNBC Tech Check co-host. A couple years ago, around the time George Floyd was killed, I created a course called The Black Experience in America. Originally designed it for our two sons, ended up opening it up to a broader audience by putting it online and creating an interactive experience. And really the goal is to chart out the people, the topics, the ideas that have brought us to where we are now. And I think by looking back at that, we can chart a more positive way forward. Technology is a key part of that because it really expands the audience and intensifies the experience. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Frank Holland. Here's our CNBC News update. The U.S. is pushing for more safe passages for U.N. humanitarian aid across the Turkish border into northwestern Syria. The roads along the only United Nations authorized border crossing were badly damaged in the immediate aftermath of Monday's quake. And the first U.N. aid convoy did not reach Syria until Thursday afternoon. The FBI is expected to search former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home for classified documents in just a matter of days. The FBI's expected search comes after a small number of classified documents were found at Pence's Indiana residence last month, according to Pence's lawyer. 
And Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott was named the 2022 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. The award was established back in 1970. It recognizes an NFL player for his excellence off of the field. Prescott was awarded for his charity foundation work centered on cancer research in honor of his mother and suicide prevention in honor of his brother's memory. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Appreciate that, Frank Collin. Now, speaking of the Super Bowl, let's go live to Phoenix. That's where our contested brewer is ahead of Sunday's big game with a look at what else sports betting. And there's going to be a lot of that, Contessa. There sure is, Scott. Super Bowl is a massive opportunity, too, to win new customers. FanDuel CEO Amy Howe told me this morning it's the best chance of the year. And really, it's her lead to lose here. FanDuel has nationally 42% market share for the 12 months ending in November, according to Eilers and Krejcik. Uh, DraftKings comes in at 24% market share. BetMGM in third place with 14%, though it is number one in iGaming. And Caesars comes in fourth. But some 60 other companies split 11% of the market share. And for some, the cost of doing business are just simply too great. The return on the investment, too little or too slow to realize. And we're already starting to see them folding. Maxim Bet has closed. Fubo TV is getting out of the sports betting business. Churchill Downs is bailing on sports betting, though it is still trying to find a way in through horse racing. And meanwhile, potentially formidable competitors are launching this year. Fanatics CEO Michael Rubin says Bet Fanatics will be live in every state where it's legal except New York by the start of football season this fall. His more experienced competitors, though, are skeptical. MGM CEO Bill Hornbuckle told me just yesterday, if you're not at the starting gate, you're not in the race, meaning if you're not there and you're launching when states legalize. One more note here on the horse race. A survey by national research group Sports indicates almost half of bettors use multiple online sports books. This is not a loyal group. Promotions, wallet, ease of use definitely matter. And Scott, I just got numbers in from New York alone. You want to know how big sports betting is? Gross gaming revenue uh, is up year over year by 5%. But listen to this, handle, the how much was bet? $1.8 billion in one month in one state. I'm not surprised, I suppose. Contessa, thank you. That's Contessa Brewer joining us from out in Phoenix today ahead of the Super Bowl. Up next in our chart of the day, it's a mystery stock pulling back this week after a strong start to the year. Bryn owns it, so we're going to see if she's sticking with it. We're back after this. All right, we're going to get to our chart of the day now. It is there it is. It's Roblox. It's down nine and a half percent this week. It's down more than four percent today. Bryn, you own it. Worst week since mid-December, right? Gaming? Serious question. Across the board, really. Post-pandemic? No? No, I think that this is part of the, as I was talking about earlier, this high beta tech trade. There's a lot of short position in Roblox. That got covered. If I look at the other high beta names, they're down equivalent. I think ARC's down about eight percent this week. I own it. I like this. Their earnings are coming out soon. Mm-hmm. They were not going to come out and say, hey, we've got free cash flow yield of 8%. We have great earnings. What people want to know is, you know, what is their daily active users? Last, so they put out monthly metrics. And so it's not really a surprise because those monthly metrics. But what's incredible is that in December, they had 65 million daily active users up 18%. But bottom line, it, it's average booking per daily average users is around $7. Street wants to see you're bringing in new users and making more money off of them. Of course. What I do 
is it's been trading between 30 and 40 for around around a year. And so when the stock gets close to 40, I sell 50 out of the money calls. And then as it trickles back down to like 32, 33, I close it out. And so instead of just sitting in the stock, being negative on it, I'm using that position to sell calls and earn some return that way. I don't even know what the forward PE on this it's, thing it's is. Maybe we I mean, there's not an there. E. There's not an E, right? So it's like this is a company that definitely has cash flow and generates revenues, but it's in the growth stage. And I do think that um, Roblox as a platform continues to remain very, very sticky. I mean, once again, having 4.7 billion hours in one month, that was 20 up 21% year over year. That is, this is not like a Snapchat. This is a very know, sticky but, platform. But you're willing, you are willing in some cases, very specific ones to still own unprofitable tech. Yeah. Right? Because let's remind our viewers too, you sold completely out of ARC the end of last year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that was sort of a, I've had it moment, right? But you still are selective enough that you like some of these? I do. I don't think you can generalize everything. Like, for example, I think the FANG trade, F-A-N-G, is in those five, those four names aren't going to move together. I think that trade's kind of dead. I like Microsoft. I don't own Amazon. I don't own Google for sure. And so I think that you need to be selective. I do like the Roblox platform, and I think Dave Bazuki has done a wonderful job just like continuing to gain traction. So yes, as a, I am willing to hold this because I think ultimately they will make money. They maybe get taken out at some point. I just think that all of my friends and all of the kids that are on this stay on this for hours and hours and hours. They will monetize this and be earnings positive at some point. Okay. Weiss, quickly, because Deer is um, next week as well, which you own, and so is Devin. Yep, yep. Right? So, so Devin, uh, in terms of earnings, yeah, yeah. So let's talk to you first. So, so I bought a small position in Deer. I like their technology, which is actually, you know, excellent for farmers because it decreases their need for fertilizer and other supplies because it's much more targeted and other technology they work on, including the you know autonomous tractors. Um, I don't know what the quarter holds for them, but when I took a look at Cat and other say marquee names, even if they miss, they come down slightly. And that's it. And then they move higher. So that's why I was comfortable buying deer in front of the earnings. In terms of Devin, you know, look, I mean, it's it's a quality company, high quality company. I actually added a little bit of Chevron on this flush. Um, but uh, Nat Gas is so low right now, it's unsustainably low. So I think you'll see Nat Gas move up in pricing. All right. We'll take a quick break up next. Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. And still ahead, of course, we're going to grade your trades. Email us. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. Tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We're right back. All right, we're back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. So how would you answer the question, Michael, that we posed at the top of our program? Is this growth trade in trouble? Is this the early part of the rollover? I would say uh, there's definitely got to be a cooling off period. And I think that growth as a category, uh, mega cap growth within it, speculative growth as another subset, they're kind of guilty until proven innocent, just given what's happened, you know, the the whole trajectory from that was the only game in town into the peak of the market. And then, uh, you know, they obviously had a lot of payback, but usually that's not what takes you higher from here. Splintering of, uh, of growth is probably between winners and losers is probably what we're up to here. Um, I've you know, heard some talk about that already. I still see Apple and Microsoft conspicuously with these massive premium valuations, people thinking 
they're somehow havens and a lot of uh, fracturing elsewhere, whether it's, you know, Alphabet or Meta, you know, kind of had its pain and now it's coming back from it. So, you know, I don't know that that's the place to look for the, the fate of this market. I'm much more concerned about do the consumer cyclicals hold up? Uh, and, you know, can we can we have the messages coming from this market that suggest that good news is still good news? Because I think we're at risk of the economy looking too strong for comfort uh, as we get into the CPI uh, and then, of course, uh, the next Fed meeting. All right. Good stuff. We'll see where we go from here in the next few hours. I'll see you then. That's Mike Santoli. Right. He'll join me for the last word, of course, in overtime. Grade My Trade is up next. We're back right after this. All right, let's do Grade My Trade. First up, you Weiss. All right, from John. Dip my toe into Owens Corning a couple weeks ago, $88.55. I know the housing market's questionable, but does the green aspect of Owens Corning, quote-unquote, insulate me from any downturn in the stock? No, I don't believe it does. I think it's always had that aspect that's tracked with the green aspect, which is insulation. And uh, it's directly tied to the housing market. We've seen the housing market actually perk up a little bit, mm -hmm. but I don't think enough to, uh, you know, to offset the, uh, what I see as troubling economic times ahead. Okay, Bryn uh, from Cheryl. I believe that U.S. Steel will reach a peak around $34. When that happens, should I purchase a July 25 put? Okay, sure. Option strategy yeah. here. So the stock's at 28. There's a lot of air between 28 and 34 by July. Also, from a technical perspective, 25 is support. So that's where it could bounce off, off of. If you do have high conviction that it's going to go to 34, an alternative strategy would be to sell the July 34 call, collect a dollar 45, and you could actually use that premium to put on your to fund your July put. Okay. Jason Snipe, Eric in California, okay, bought 500 shares of PayPal, which you own, for $79.50. I still believe they are the fintech leader, and I'm interested to see what Elliott is able to do with the company. What do you do here? Look, I absolutely agree that you hold it. I think Elliott is absolutely having an impact. Yesterday was, a, was their report, you know, it was a slight miss on total payment volume, slight miss on top line revenue. However, there was an EPS beat and they guided above consensus. So I definitely think you hold this here, you know, for the next couple quarters for sure. Okay. Uh, Brenda, you got the last one from Chad in Arizona. Okay. Bought 100 shares of NVIDIA, $171 last June, then another 100 shares at 151 then another 50 at 123, recently sold 150 at $218, thinking it'd cool off. I was wrong. Do I add back more? What do you do? Well, if I was going to grade the trade, I would give this one an A+, plus, especially for last year, having a, a nice return like that. So congratulations. I would hold off uh, adding more here, even though we really like NVIDIA. It's an incredibly innovative company. They have a lot more innovation com coming in healthcare really well positioned also within the GPU market to, uh, with the growth of AI uh, globally. But I, given this growth trade that we've seen, that I think that the stock has been caught up in that, uh, and that's been a great thing for shareholders, uh, but to see the stock price increase so much. But I think you just let that trade uh, cool off a little bit more uh, before considering adding more here. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. Thanks for the trades, as always, as well. Final trades are next. We are back. That man right there, Tom Lee, Fundstrat Global Advisors co-founder, joins me in overtime on this Friday. We'll see what he thinks about the growth trade that he 
has said has a lot of room to run. We'll find out what he thinks now. Along with Malcolm Etheridge, Kristen Bitterly, Kevin Simpson has some new trades, too, which we're looking forward to sharing with you. Uh, let's do final trades. Brenda, you're up first. I'm going to go get screen here. I go with Google. Uh, trading it just 14 times. I think the company is going to maintain, maintain its position within the search market. Okay. Thank you. Jason Snipe. I like CVS here. They had a very solid quarter, and I like the Oak Street, Oak Street acquisition. Stay long. All right. BHP, Australian mining company, copper, coal, iron. I think that it's very tied to China. It's 9.6% yield. Mr. Weiss. Activision. It wasn't news that the Brits were going to come out and say, no, we don't want it. I still think it's undervalued, even with that Microsoft deal. All right. Good stuff. Good weekend. Everybody else have a good weekend, too. I'll see you in overtime. The exchange is right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.